John 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that though we may have heard and read and thought about your resurrection many times before, we pray that something of its power would hit us again today. Lord, we pray that we would leave this place overjoyed, so thankful, and full of your resurrection life, so that this place and beyond might be changed in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Easter again, everybody. Happy Easter, Rami. Um, slotted in just now. Well done. The grave is empty. Um, our joy is full. They thought they could kill Jesus, but instead that he proved that he is the way, the truth, and importantly, the life. What looked like the ultimate defeat we know was actually a victory over evil, over suffering, over sin, over death, now and forever. I hope that you have a massively happy Easter. 
Christians are often, I think, quite good at the fasting side of things, the giving things up, and maybe not quite so good at the feasting side of things. So we've had a 40-day fast during Lent. We now have this 50-day feast, and I encourage you to feast in whatever way makes sense to you. Feast in worship, feast in prayer, feast in celebration, feast in adoration, whatever it is that it will take you to the feet of Jesus. Know that he is with you, that he longs to meet you in power, and that if we are a celebratory people, a feasting kind of a people, I think that's the kind of people that others are going to want to be a part of for themselves as well. To us, after a long season of Easter, of Lent rather, and a long Holy Week, this might seem like an ending, but Easter is really much rather a beginning. Think of this more like a doorway into a new way of being rather than a destination that we've finally hit and now we can collapse. Bishop David, our bishop here in Manchester, in his Easter message said this, Easter is much less an ending than a beginning. It's the dawn of a world in which death has been defeated, the start of an era where love is proven stronger than the worst that evil can do. So our reading began saying that it was early on the first day of the week when Mary went to the tomb, but it wasn't really the first day of that week. It was the first day of this whole new world order because everything that we'd seen up until that point is now flipped on its head because there is now a man who lives with death behind him. Jesus, dead at the end of the cross, fully dead, not unconscious, not in a coma, fully, fully dead put into a tomb, and all the world would say that that should have been the end. And we know that through this day, he's actually come back to resurrected life and begun this new world order. So early on that first day of the week was really early on the first day of this new era, which we are invited to make our home in, to live our life in, to know the reality of now and forever. Mary goes down to the tomb early that day before anybody else had got there. As soon as she was able, after the Sabbath rest of that Saturday, she was there. She wanted to be near her Lord. And then she sees that it's not as it was left. The Roman guard, the soldiers, no one quite knows where they've gone. The stone that had been rolled into place, taken loads of people to do it because it was so heavy, is moved to one side. And as she peers in, she can see no body but just grave clothes. So a little startled, quite shocked, I'm sure, she runs back to get the other disciples. Where they were, we don't quite know. But Simon Peter and John make their way to the tomb. And don't you just love boys for reminding us all who was quicker in getting there? Not just once in the text, twice. I hope you saw that there was a a comment about John being quicker than Simon Peter. They too find this tomb empty and one of them ventures inside and sees that there's no body there, that the grave clothes are folded where they would have been, but there's no body inside them. And I think at this point, the cogs would have started to whir because if you were going to steal a body in those days, the most valuable thing that you could steal was the grave clothes, the linen that was put on. Joseph of Arimathea, in whose tomb Jesus was laid, was a wealthy guy. But the most valuable thing in there was not the body. No one's going to buy that on the black market. But the tomb clothes were valuable. And so if you were going to go in there and steal, why would you leave the grave clothes? And I think we can see from here on the puzzle pieces are starting to join in their minds because they realize, hang on a minute, 
Something's happened, but I don't think it's the first explanation. I think it might be something better and something deeper. And there's this vague memory in the back of their minds. Didn't Jesus talk to us about this sometime way back when? He said he was going to come back after three days. And at the time, none of us really knew what he meant. And none of us really dared ask. But maybe this has got something to do with it. We're not quite sure. Simon, Peter and John go away to think, to tell the others, to see what they might make of it, to work it out together. But Mary stays close by. She can't really bear, I think, to leave the tomb because she was there first, because she wanted to be near Jesus. And she's there crying. And she dares to peer in to the tomb. And in there, she sees two angels. Why are you crying? They say to her. Because they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. She turns around and then sees this figure in front of her. She assumes that it's a gardener, but we know that it was Jesus. Why are you crying again, comes the question. If you know where they've put my Lord, tell me, because I want to go there and bring him back. And then we get probably the shortest sermon in all of scripture. One single word which changes everything. One moment which means that Mary's life would never be the same again. Mary. And in that moment, Mary realizes this isn't a gardener I'm talking to. This is my Lord. In that moment, she realizes that the one she thought was dead is now alive again because he came and said, Mary. In that one word was the voice of God direct to her. In that one name was the recollection of everything that he'd said to her before that, of all the journeys they'd gone on, of all the time that they'd spent together. In that single word address was the reassurance that she needed that this was her Lord, the one that she'd watched die two days earlier and yet was back amongst her, alive now. Having heard her Lord call her name again, she recognised the tone of his voice, the warmth of the love that would have been evident through that name. She realised that this was not just a mass address to lots of people, though those appearances would come later. This was personal, and this was direct to her and her alone. And though she began crying, she now cries out, Rabboni, teacher, Lord, you returned and you're with us again. She gets some instructions from Jesus to go back to the disciples to tell them what's happened. And she goes off and does that excitedly, passing on the message that she's received. And she gets that moment to watch their face change, just like she knew hers had moments before. When we come to consider something like the resurrection, like so much really with the gospel, there are so many different ways that we can look at it, so many different metaphors that we might use. There's so much written about an event like this because it's never been repeated. And we could spend hours and days really looking at all those different angles It's a bit like when you look at a diamond and every time you see a slightly different face of it, you see a different glint of light and it's beautiful. But also as you look at it, you realise there are implications for having seen that. The facet of the resurrection diamond that I want to look at just for a few minutes today isn't its power as important as that is? Isn't its 
evidence or truth or argument as important as that is. The facet that really hit me as I read this story, this account again this week, was the personal nature of the resurrection. Jesus came and said, Mary. And I believe that as he comes amongst us here today by his Holy Spirit, he comes and addresses us by name as well. That's what he's done with Amber in baptism. It's what he does to each of us by his Holy Spirit. He comes to us and says our name. And through that, we realize that it's him. There's a place for thinking about all the other things, the evidence and the arguments and the, re- the reasons for which we know that it is real. About what happened between Friday and Sunday. Where did Jesus go? What was he doing? There's a place for all of that. But today, I think what God wants to put before us is that the resurrection is a personal thing. Because after going to the cross and the agony and the suffering and the sacrifice of that, being placed in the tomb to then come through it, out the other side, one of the first things he does is disguise himself as a gardener and then come to Mary and just repeat her name. He didn't need to come and say, here's why it's true, or here's what's really going on, or announcing to the next grand plan. The first thing he wanted to do was to reassure one of his followers who was grief-stricken. He was probably at one of her lowest ebbs. Without the Lord that she loved, what he wanted to come and do first was say, Mary. And know that by saying that name, her joy would be restored. In that moment, Mary didn't really need evidence. She didn't really need to know the plan or the sequence. Thomas kind of needed that, and we'll come to him in a few weeks' time. What Mary needed was to know that the one that she loved the one in whom she'd made a home, the one that had loved her with a love like nobody else had ever, was still here. Mary needed to know that this Lord was her Lord, the one that she'd watched be put into the tomb days before, that he knew her, that he loved her, that he had good plans for her. She was the first one there because she wanted to be close to Jesus. She couldn't bear to be without him. And she wanted to be there the moment that the sun rose, the moment she was allowed to be, she was right in front of him again. And in response to that, Jesus meets her heart's longing with a personal naming, a personal invitation. Today, the resurrected king, Jesus, king of all the world, victor over death and evil, addresses you. He doesn't say Mary because that's not any of your names, but he does say your name. He went to the cross and then he went through the tomb and now he calls you by name and says, come. Because in that naming is an invitation, isn't it? To see what the world is now like when a man can live with death behind him, when one can defeat evil and suffering and death and pain. What's in that name is an invitation to come close, to live life with Jesus, connected with him, making your home in him, living in his way and nobody else's. Jesus went to the cross and then through the tomb so that he could be reconnected with people like Mary, like me, and like you. And he comes to you today and says your name as an invitation to come close to him again. To be really clear, if you say yes to this invitation, there will be a Good Friday. 
There will be a death to your old way of living. If we're united with Jesus, the Bible says that we're united with him in his death. That something of us has to die because it's the evil bit of us, the sinful bit of us, the stuff that we've done wrong that pains us and pains other people and ultimately pains God our Father. Bonhoeffer, the great Christian leader in the middle of the last century in Germany, said when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. But what we're putting to death is your old self, your flesh nature, all the stuff that you don't like and all the stuff that God cries at in you. There will be a good Friday when you come to Jesus, but it will be your old nature. And if we're united with him in his death, we will then be united with him in an Easter day. So come to Jesus, there will be a good Friday, but then there will be an Easter day because your new self, your spirit self will come to life again. All that is good in you, all that is Christ's image in you will be resurrected and everything bad can be made good. Everything wrong can be made right. Everything bad can be forgiven and all the goodness of Christ, the inheritance that he wants to give you, the fullness of his spirit, life and peace and joy, can be resurrected to life in you. Jesus says to you today, come be united with me. Go through Good Friday and put to death your old self, like we've just watched in the waters of baptism. But then be united with me in my resurrection, which can become your resurrection too. Not just after we die and go on to be with God forever in heaven, as he makes his dwelling place here amongst us again, but even here, even now, even today. There are resurrections on offer for us as we say yes to being united with God even today. He calls our name personally because he knows us and loves us, because he wants to put his resurrection power inside of us, to put to death all that's wrong and evil so that he can bring to life all that is good and glorifying to him. And to this invitation, each of us gets the choice of how to respond. And I think there are kind of three responses we might want to make today. Maybe for some of you, you're like, sounds interesting, not quite sure, got some questions. If that's you, Alpha is the perfect place to take this on a step, to have some time over the sessions and the evenings that will run to say, hang on a minute, can this all be true? What does that mean for me here and now? Come along from the 25th of April onwards and use that space to explore. Second response might be that you're like, This is the first time I've heard this news or the first time this news has really hit me and I want to say yes. In a moment, I'm going to read a prayer that you can pray in your heart to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be united with you. Put to death all that's wrong in me and raise to life all that is good and your image in me. And what will happen here and now is that God will come and be faithful to that prayer, will cleanse you through water, through the Spirit, and put his very seal on you, marking you out as his now and forever. That's something that can happen here and now. And thirdly, then, maybe you know Jesus already, you've been following him for a while, but you realise that the fullness of joy that we celebrate at Easter isn't your daily reality. Maybe there's a sense in which something's gone cold. Maybe there's a sense in which there's something that needs to go 
on a Good Friday death so that something new can be resurrected to life in you. And what we're going to pray is that by the power of God's Spirit, that he would gift us with his presence and would bring that about for you even here and now. Jesus calls your name resurrected so that he can be reconnected with you. The resurrection is personal and it has implications for your life here and now. The invitation is before you to say yes to Jesus, whether you've known him for ages and it's a recommitment kind of a thing or whether this is the very first time. What I'm going to invite you to do is to spend a moment in quiet. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to use this as a space to reflect, to think what response do I want to make? Anyone who wants to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, I'm going to read a prayer and invite you to repeat it back and make it your own. And at the end, just so that I know and can help you on with next steps in faith, all I'm going to say is if you could put your hand in the air so I can give you a gift and uh, help you take those next steps like I say. So if this is you saying yes to Jesus, responding to his personal call to you for the first time, you might want to pray this back in your heart to God after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your love for me. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. Thank you that you died on the cross so that I could be set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I receive that gift and ask that you would come into my life now and forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.